From Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Orman Lois, and this is Film Club. A podcast series where our youth film critics and cultural connoisseurs spill the theoretical tea on a new movie. So these are spoiler-filled conversations, folks. If you haven't seen the movie they're talking about, be prepared to learn far more about them than the trailers will tell you. In this special episode, we have a double feature, Barbie and Oppenheimer, also known collectively as Barbenheimer, or Oppen Barbie, if you will. Since it was announced that Christopher Nolan's biopic of J. Robert Oppenheimer and Greta Gerwig's Mattel movie would be released on the same day, a hype began to build. The memes were endless. People made posters combining the two movies. Fans wore all pink to screenings of Barbie or all black for Oppenheimer, some vice versa. Both movies made a killing at the box office. Barbie even broke the record for sales of a movie by a female director. Suffice to say, Barbenheimer is a movie-going phenomenon. So in this extended episode, our Abby crew sat down to discuss both films. There's a lot to get through, so let's just dive in. Um, so we're starting. Um, welcome to the Barbenheimer Roundtable. I'm Madison Knudsen. I'm one of the co-hosts and we have AJ Schultz. I'm the other host. So we're going to start off. Um, could you introduce yourself and share the order that you watch the movies in? Yeah, I mean, I guess I'll start. Uh, I'm AJ, as I just said, and I watched Oppenheimer first and then I had a brief break just to sort of let me let us sit with that. And then we went straight into Barbie after that, like a shot and a chaser. I'm Forrest, and uh, I watched um, Oppenheimer, and then just this morning, I watched Barbie, so I'm fresh. Nice. Uh, I watched uh, Oppenheimer and Barbie, that order, on opening weekend. My name's Logan Tyler Smith, and as I say in every roundtable, I'm always credited by my full name. Um, and I'm Eddie. I saw, I saw Oppenheimer Tuesday and Barbie Wednesday. Um, and yeah, I'm Maddie. Uh, and I saw Barbie opening night, uh, Thursday, the 20th. And then I went to see Oppenheimer on the Saturday, the 20th. So pretty close to each other. Um, we've seen the buildup for the Barbenheimer roundtable throughout the past few months. Um, blockbuster movies being released on the same day isn't something new. Uh, if you can remember, uh, Dark Mama, just the Dark Knight and Mamma Mia, which were re- released on the same day, 15 years ago. Um, but unlike Barbenheimer, Dark Mama did not receive as much buildup as Bar- Barbenheimer did. Um, so what do you guys think led to Barbenheimer becoming as big of a phenomenon as it did? Yeah, I'm inclined to, to give a lot of that to chance, actually. Just kind of uh, that and the fact that it's two massive directors who are like kind of like the leading men and the leading woman in the director scene with Nolan and Gerwig. I think the fact that these two huge Hollywood directors had huge movies, huge IP movies at that, if you can count Oppenheimer as IP, it's recognizable, kind of led to that. Um, and the same thing with with Dark Mama. Um yeah, I think a lot of it was like a little seed was planted. Like a couple of people were like, oh, what if we see this on the same day? And then the marketing teams decided, oh, yeah, we're going to run with that. And then that was everywhere. Like the marketing for this thing was the widest I had ever seen. Um, and some people are trying to recreate that with Saw Patrol, but I don't think it's going to catch. <laughs> I, I guess speaking of um, marketing, um, I one of the marketing things was uh, I think they built a house for Barbie to market yeah. Barbie. The dream house. Uh, yeah. And there was um, 
uh, there was a lot of there were memes going around that uh, Oppenheimer could could they had an opportunity to market as well on the same uh, the using the same the same set. So I'll leave you with that. Uh, I think uh, part of the Barbenheimer phenomenon, if we're gonna call it that, uh, I think part of it is the fact that yes, they're the leading men and women in the industry, as AJ put it, but it's also they're just so tonally different. Yeah. Like, both yeah. from the trailer and marketing material are just so tonally, like, opposite directions. And some people have noted similarities. You can probably look that up later. But for the most part, they're just so tonally different. I don't think it's the only reason that the marketing got so big, but I think it's one of the factors that made this a phenomenon. Yeah, it's a non sequitur. There's humor in it. Yeah. I think separately these movies would have been big anyway, and the fact that they were just released on the same day, like it kind of almost made like the idea of, oh, we have to go see these movies even bigger, um, because they're both very known ideas. Like there's not very many people who, I mean, there's no one who isn't familiar with World War II and Oppenheimer's involvement, and there's pretty much no one who's not aware of Barbie and kind of the phenomenon surrounding it, and so the two kind of just combined and created the giant monstrosity phenomenon of, <laughs> of Barbenheimer. Yeah, I definitely think that's one of the factors. Um, I also think that we have to give it up to, like they said, kind of the IPs. Um, and in a way, directors are sort of an IP. Um, and I think the fact that Barbie was, is directed by Greta Gerwig and Oppenheimer is directed by Christopher Nolan is something that uh, contributed uh, to this phenomenon as well. Um, but then the internet, like we said, the memes. Mm -hmm. um, something to note is that um, Oppenheimer didn't receive a lot of marketing as much as Barbie. Um, and so, and they never received marketing together as like the joint property because they, they, obviously the two studios, they don't want um, another studio getting all their money and like sharing, you know, because uh, capitalism's got a capitalism. Um, so I think that's something to note, but like still the marketing of Barbie and then just like, I guess you could call it internet marketing in a way. Memes are sort of the way we're marketing movies and we're um, getting people to see them. So I think that's kind of a few of the factors that led to um, it being so big. Um, yeah, and when The Dark Knight and Mamma Mia came out, the internet wasn't as active. Um, it existed, <laughs> it did, and we had YouTube, but we didn't have it to the extent we have it um, today. The glorious internet we have today. Um, so we're gonna start out with Barbie first, unlike what many people say the double feature um, round, like, um, guess order should go um but we're just gonna go barbie first so i'm gonna lead us through the barbie section and then aj is gonna take over for oppenheimer so to start off um what uh what was your relationship to the mattel toy line barbie before the movie it's actually a shareholder in mattel no uh, i had no relation uh no relation beyond surface level awareness and then going in i was a little skeptical about the fact that mattel was involved and i was like oh is this going to be a weird corporate uh, Lego movie wannabe? And it kind of was, but they did it well. So that was uh, – <laughs> uh, my relation was was uh, little to none. 
Um, I would say mine is even less. I I don't think, I mean, I've heard of Mattel, but uh, besides that, um, I had no idea that uh, it existed. So, blank slate. I knew the toy line existed, obviously not, th- mostly through my mom, because she had this like weird uh, suitcase full of Barbies. <laughs> I'm not even sure if she wants me to tell people that, <laughs> but... Uh, she had that, and that's pretty much all I knew about it, that it was just a toy line marketed towards women if memory serves that existed. And then I heard Greta Gerwig, who directed an all-time classic uh, little uh, Lady Bird. I haven't seen Little Woman yet, sorry. But I loved Lady Bird, and I loved everything I'd seen from Greta Gerwig acting up until that point. Uh, and when I heard she was directing Barbie at first, I was skeptical just because I didn't have that much familiarity with the toy line, and I was worried that Gerwig may have jumped the shark. But thankfully, I was not disappointed. It was great. Um, I mean, I knew Barbie. Uh, my little sister and I played with Barbies. Um, probably, I don't remember very well. But I would say going into this movie, like, I saw a trailer that was like, if you love Barbie or if you hate Barbie, yeah. like, you'll you'll want to see this movie. And I was like, well, I'm definitely in the kind of hating Barbie. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really appreciate, like, some of what Barbie came to represent, but I kind of knew going into the movie that it would address some of those yeah, things. Sasha so, over here. <laughs> hey, Sasha hey, was right. <laughs> Sasha was right. <laughs> I am a Barbie, I guess you could say, super fan, but not really. Um, yeah, I as a kid, I loved Barbie. I watched uh, most of the animated movies. I stopped like as I got older, but yeah, I love I love Barbie. Um, it's it's great. I have like a Barbie book, and inside they have a reproduction of the membership cards from the '60s, mm-hmm. and so I technically am a part of the Barbie membership club. But um, yeah, that's probably. Very, it's very old. Um, but yeah, I, I knew a lot about Barbie. And so going into this, the references they make was cool. The video Barbie they reference, I actually did have that Barbie. So, you had the yeah. TV one? I, yes, I had the video Barbie. Um, the TV girl, if you Yeah. Were. And my parents didn't take it away from me after the, the like complaints from the, I think it was like the FBI or something, where they were concerned about... Um, <sighs> some bad stuff happening with it um my mom still didn't take it away so you know i um i have personal connections um so kind of going into the second uh question considering the hype and countless brand deals around this movie what expectations if any did you have going into this movie yeah, I touched on that a little bit earlier. I did just look up Mattel's Video Girl Pro- Barbie prompts FBI warning, which is the funniest thing I've read, and I can't believe I didn't know about that. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the the brand deals around the movie is uh, something I kind of mentioned uh, in the last question, but it irked me a little seeing like Google ads on my on my TikTok page, just being like, just like Barbie, I get confused sometimes. I'm like, what are we doing? What is this? <laughs> and so going in, I was like, this is going to be the least offensive, like very play it safe movie. And it like really surprised me with how much they were able to to do despite that. Like they had corporate backing up the wazoo in this. And yet Greta was like, nope. I'm still going to say something, and so I respected that. And it, it subverted the expectation I had, which was this is going to be bland as hell. And it wasn't. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. Um, 
I went into it expecting not much from it, but and it it was much, it had much more depth than um, than I thought it would be, or even possible for it to be. I do feel like um, movies, especially, or at least, I mean, connecting it to Oppenheimer, um, it, it had uh, more trust in the audience than I think is normal for a large blockbuster movie, um, just because of you don't want your all your funding to go to waste. Um, yeah. Honestly, uh, because I already had insider knowledge that Greta Gerwig was directing the movie and also had a little bit of knowledge about the toy line, my big hope was that it would be fine. Then I saw the trailer uh, and the marketing material in general. It was good. Then I saw the movie and it was great. And it was a natural progression that really surprised me in Mm -hmm. more ways than I expected. Going into the movie, like when I first when I saw the first trailer, I I mean, I already said I don't like Barbie, but I kind of I saw the first trailer and I was like, okay, this isn't going to be about Barbie. Like I knew it was going to have some depth. I knew it was going to have something very important to say. And that was kind of the only reason that I was like willing to go see it, because if it had just been like a Barbie movie, I wouldn't have seen it. But the fact that I mean, you could kind of tell that it would be addressing some of the things that Barbie has come to represent um, that it didn't originally. And the way that, like, to me, Barbie almost became a little anti-feminist. And so I had those expectations of, like, they have to deal with this. Like, there's no way they can make this Barbie movie without dealing with that. And so I definitely had those expectations. I was surprised the way they went about it, but um, not surprised that it happened. My, I guess my, my like expectations for the film was it was going to be fun. It was going to kind of um, be reminiscent of, it's called the kinder camp genre or the kinder camp aesthetic, which uh, includes uh, Scooby-Doo 2002. So the live action Scooby-Doo, I think the Willy Wonka movie from 2005. So that really like kitsch like sets and acting. Um, so I was really excited because I, I, I really like the Scooby-Doo movie live action. Um, and I like Barbie too. Um, so I was really hyped. I had, I had an outfit prepared like months before. Um, I ordered the vinyl. So that's coming. Um, and I saw it and I came out of it. Um, and I, it was great. But I saw something on Instagram and someone perfectly like um, communicated my thoughts on this is that it just didn't meet my personal expectations and I just didn't click with it. And I feel really bad about that. But it was still a really good movie. I'm not going to knock it. But yeah, I, I had very high expectations. That's kind of the overarching answer. Yeah. And so moving into the next question, uh, what was your favorite part of the movie? Either like song, set, actors, story, plot. It's really hard for me to not give it to the entirety of the Ken War. I thought the the Ken battle leading into Ryan Gosling's music dance number was fantastic. But I'm going to have to give it to the ending uh, from Barbie and Ruth into... Just the last line of the movie. That, that, <laughs> I thought it was just the uh, one of the best wrap-ups I, I've seen in a while. Just really bringing all the themes home and then just ending on a really, really solid punch of a joke. was, And then, and then going into Nicki Minaj's and, <laughs> and I Spice uh, Barbie track was just, oof, yeah, just 
it really went out with a bang. And so that was my favorite part. Um, I think uh, my favorite part of the movie was all the references to other movies like 2001 Space yeah. Odyssey with the intro and um, sort of the uh, – uh, and I can't, I can't think of a few of the others off the top of my head. But I enjoyed going through the movie and seeing those um, throughout the movie. And especially um, I think uh, I, the – the dialogue, the very blunt dialogue, sort of grew on me over time as well. I think initially I found it very jarring, but I did find that they were able to uh, very directly uh, communicate their points with a dialogue that wasn't subtle. And I think that has its place, and I think it worked well. I, I want to bounce on that real quick. I, You mentioned blunt dialogue, and I think at the start, like just the intro in Barbie Land, I loved how blunt the dialogue was and how underwritten it was because it felt like kids improvising dialogue between their dolls. Like specifically when, when Ken is in the ambulance and he's just like, my job is just beach. And the other Barbie's like, you're very common. You're very good at beach. And it's, it's just kids like making things up as they go. And I love that. I really like two scenes. One, when Will Ferrell as the uh, CEO of Mattel or whatever goes on this long rant of- and just randomly ends it with, some of my friends are Jewish. And it's like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> it just sort of comes out of left field, and it's just so funny. I think everyone's reactions to around it really sell it. The other one is when there's construction work going on, and Michael Sarah as Alan randomly beats up the construction workers. <laughs> just, I, I don't know. I just like things that come out of nowhere sometimes. And just Michael Sarah in general. Yes. <laughs> he was amazing. Give it up for Alan. Alan. Yes. Uh, I'm a little depressed at how much I relate to Michael Sarah. <laughs> Where, yeah, there's always an Alan, and yeah. that's great. Uh, hands down, my favorite part was the impossible to be a woman speech. Um, I thought that part was excellent, and it was perfect for this movie and to talk about like the things that I wanted to see from it but also Sarah's speech to um Barbie where she absolutely destroyed her was very fun to watch as well yeah no adding on to that it felt like a poetry recitation it was very um uh it felt I didn't quite it 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 had a feeling that uh a lot of uh, movies don't have and I think was I it was probably not that unique, but I felt it was unique to a movie to have a dialogue again in that sort of sense. Yeah, I definitely agree. Um, but um, yeah, my I I'm gonna go off like in a different way. Uh, my favorite part of the movie, I guess, was the set. I think it was the set and the costuming. I think they did an excellent job. Um, just to note. Um, there is no CGI utilized uh, while they are in Barbie land. Everything is practical there, at least. Um, and I think that's that's just so impressive um, to have just like these people make like Barbie land and it's real. And that's like and it's physical, um, which makes it all the more like um, just better. Um, and then for the costuming, I just thought it was perfect. Um, they recreated some outfits, but then they got some new outfits. Um, and I think that was probably the best choice to just do something new, but also kind of harken back when they can. Um, and I think it was either uh, Margot Robbie or um, I think either the costumer who was kind of talking about how they wanted to sort of make the costuming 
as iconic as Clueless's costuming, which is uh, my favorite movie. It's not it's not a very impressive movie to have as my favorite movie, but I really like that detail, and I think that it will stick with audiences in the future. Oh, I was just gonna agree with with Forrest about the uh, <laughs> about uh, America Ferrera's monologue, and and again, just to talk about. Um, how in your face it was on purpose. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can already hear a lot of people saying they were shoving it down our throats, but like, yeah, cause nothing else works. <laughs> like specifically afterwards when Margot Robbie's Barbie goes by giving voice to the cognitive dissonance required to be a woman in patriarchy, you robbed it of its power. And it's like, <laughs> all right, I see what you're doing. You're, you are spelling it out as explicitly as possible for the people in the audience who need it. And I thought that was really bold and I liked that. I connected with that speech a lot and it was kind of because of that, because it was such a direct, um, because it was so direct and it was absolutely perfectly done. Um, and it was, yeah, like I said earlier, it was a good way to talk about Barbie and what it had done and then the ways that like kind of it doesn't represent that anymore or they're trying to change the narrative. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, kind of on the feminism wave, um, when I uh, looked at the reception for this movie on like TikTok and Instagram, I saw that a lot of people were surprised to find that this was like a Barbie movie with feminism commentary um, and that it would touch them like so much um, because some people thought it was just going to be a fun like romp. I saw someone uh, who was thinking that this was going to be like the Wizard of Oz in a way, um, and it kind of is, but kind of not. Um, so uh, did you identify with this feminism commentary? I think we were just starting to talk about this, but uh, can we expand on that? It's a complicated question. Um, Looking at the three guys in the room right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I guess for now, I will I'll, I'll emphasize that I, I loved the movies. Um, very clear and very... Um, positive depiction of masculinity by the end i think mm. not a lot of movies specifically this kind of movie do a lot to talk about positive masculinity versus toxic masculinity and i think that even that was more like if, if like more of a theme if not like on equal standing as a theme with the feminism because they do go hand in hand like patriarchy harms men as not as much as it harms women it harms men as well as it harms women and and that's that's visible in alan and it's visible in ken and yeah, it's, it's all wrapped up in that very purchasable product of the I Am Knuff sweatshirt. And uh, <laughs> I don't know, I, I, I really liked Ken's arc and, and how it's kind of flipping all those tropes on its head. Yeah, no, I guess along those same lines, I guess uh, I really liked how the, the story uh, dealt with these the, the, these complex issues and sort of flipped the roles of uh, patriarchy and a matriarchy. I, I can't say that I identif identified particularly um, with the movie or that I particularly enjoyed it, but I do um, agree with the message and I liked how the message was portrayed. And uh, just a quick note, um, and when I say like the feminism like commentary, um, I'm also opening it up to like along with like what AJ was saying, um, the patriarchy harms men and women. Did you like identify with um, the struggle like Ken went through? Maybe not when he was in like the super patriarchy alpha male, but um, just relate to like 
any feelings of inadequacy and like gender and stuff. So just opening it up there. But um, yeah, I just wanted to add that note. The inadequacy was definitely something I think anyone with male insecurity can relate to. But also I do like how he went through uh, self-discovery by the very end of it. Obviously when he's in, as you put it, the annoying alpha male face where he calls it a doja casa house or whatever. It's like just so insufferable and I hate it. But once he actually develops and realizes he doesn't need a relationship to validate himself. uh, But to answer uh, the question like how it resonated with me or uh, how it relates, I I don't know. Like, I, I definitely identify with elements of it, obviously. Patriarchy is definitely detrimental to both uh, genders. Um, I don't really have a lot to add to that. Like when I logged uh, it on my letterbox, which is where I log all my movies, I didn't even give it a star rating because I didn't feel equipped enough to uh, really truly comment on how the film depicts patriarchy or feminism. No, that's okay. Yeah, it's always a good um, thing to note too that this, you know, even though it focuses heavily on feminism, that it's not only just a feminism movie. Sure. Yeah, there's existentialism I, in it. There's <laughs> other stuff. To be clear, I did like that progressive messaging though. No, yeah. Um, but sometimes you just don't relate to something and can't relate to it on a level and so can't quite... But I, I did know. love it. But that's but that's okay. Yeah. You are enough, I guess. Yeah. Enough. Uh, yeah, I, I was I was just gonna say that uh, I think, especially for me, um, looking at Ken's you know minx arc, uh, <laughs> and his whole uh, just leaning into the idea of patriarchy and horses and as, as men extenders, um, I think for me that was a direct parallel to the experience of myself and a lot of other teenage boys who when they first like come into the world and they see, whoa, men rule, <laughs> they do kind of lean into it. There, there, there's something called the alt-right pipeline, which which is something I'm very interested in and something that I've, I've done a lot of reading on, which is that, you know, teenage boys will see that and then they'll be going on their, like, you know, they're scrolling through YouTube, scrolling through TikTok and they'll see videos like feminist cringe compilation, Ben Shapiro owns woman number 245. And then they're, they watch that and then it, it just keeps feeding them more and more content like that until they become Ken. And then they have to reach that breaking point of like, oh, I've fallen for something that I should not have fallen for. And I think Ken's arc mirror is that. For me, that was when I was like 12. And a lot of people like, like me, like when 12 and 13, they just get sucked into that. And I think depicting Ken as a kid, like like just as a like childish boy, especially when he sort of shouts at Barbie when he's like, I'm going to go into the library. And Barbie's like, don't stay long. He's like, I won't. It's like, yeah, that's that's a read that I got from Ken that I, I appreciated. Yeah. I, I especially liked how the story uh, really highlighted the root causes of patriarchy uh, and on the flip side on in Barbie land, uh, um, how it's really based in insecurity and how uh, how much of a role that plays and how much being aware of that can help solve problems and just being aware that other people around us are insecure and have the same insecurities as us. I have a couple points for this question, but um, AJ, what you were saying about how like boys can kind of become these might not be the right words, but like indoctrinated into patriarchy, Um, kind of coming at it from the other side of being on the more negative side of patriarchy and uh, I don't know, I guess 
men suffer from it too, but women tend to suffer a little bit more. Um, but kind of, I was very, very uncomfortable during the scenes with such intense patriarchy because I could just see myself on the other side, the way that AJ, I think you saw yourself like in Ken and kind of having to go through that journey. It was like, I was on the other side and I was so uncomfortable, but like, I kind of, I was sitting there and I was thinking through it and it was like, this was written by a woman. This was directed by a woman. Like I knew that it had purpose and I knew it was important, but the way that they did it so starkly, I think, I think it was needed and I think it was very, very important. Um, but it definitely surprised me and overall I, I appreciated it, but I had read this review before I saw the movie and it was like, someone saying like, oh, they just made, made, they'd made men the enemy in this movie. And I mean, going through that patriarchy scene, I was like, no, not at all. They kind of, they acknowledged the patriarchy and they made that kind of the enemy, like that was the villain, but they did it in a healthy way. And it showed the way that like masculinity doesn't have to be toxic and femininity also on the other side doesn't have to be toxic. And I really like that they kind of acknowledge that Ken was as powerless in Barbie land as Barbie was in the real world. And so I really appreciated the way that they could flip that and acknowledge it because it kind of even showed it, it was even more of a contrast of the real world of how like men suffered in Barbie land, but women suffer in the real world. One thing that I'd like to add on to this discussion that I didn't think of before is the fact that oftentimes uh, people on the annoying anti-feminist side who would probably be agree with mink coat Ken, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, they tend to uh, think that they straw man feminists a lot to make them think that, you know, men and women should have like zero differences. And that's not the case. Feminism exists primarily because of the differences between genders. And it's important to acknowledge that. Yeah, I think that's yeah, that's a really good point. Um, for me, yeah, I really I related to kind of everything. Um, but I really I really like this because um, it did. It's this movie is kind of like beginners, very basic um, bell hooks, who is a feminist um, author. Um, and she wrote uh, feminism is for everybody, which I read um, just like a few months ago. Um, and I think uh, in that book they kind of uh, bell hooks defines feminism um and she kind of talks about how like all all these kinds of things very intense feminist theory um but i thought this was really good in kind of making it clear for general audiences that um there doesn't need to be a matriarchy or a patriarchy equality but also kind of equity as well um we don't want to just be all e you know all equal we want to address all people's concerns um, but yeah, I really liked it. I did see some criticism with like the lack of intersectionality um, of like different kinds of women, of women of color, of LGBTQ plus women. Um, so that's kind of something I was missing. But overall, I think kind of I was really judgy about it at first, but I think I'm coming out of it a little bit more like understanding sort of like Alaska Daily. Um, that's like a really mm -hmm. deep cut, but that kind of discussed a uh, very basic description of, um, you know, uh, village uh, sexual violence against um, indigenous women. Um, but it got awareness out. And this is the same thing. It's getting awareness out. Um, and that's that's, I mean, that's kind of all you can ask at this point. It's kind of the bare minimum, but if that's 
how we're going to get it out. You know what? Let's just get it out. Just on the the LGBT representation mm-hmm. side, I thought that it definitely wasn't as explicit as all the, the feminism and positive masculinity angles, because that is the central theme. And that's the thing they're trying to drill into your head. I think there is subtextually a lot of queer rep in this movie, mm-hmm. uh, specifically in Alan and Weird Barbie and Hari Neff's Barbie. Um, it's not in your face. It's not said. But I think Alan and Weird Barbie can both represent the sort of like queer men and women who are sort of pushed to the side and called weird to their face and behind their back. And uh, the fact that the, the, the kind of, just kind of owning it and just being like, all right, like <laughs> nothing I can do about it. This is how I'm seen. And then with Hari Neff, a transgender actress who is uh, just one of the Barbies, not even tokenized, not even mentioned, just, yeah, she's one of the Barbies, like it or not. Like, that's just how it is. And I think it wasn't it, it wasn't a, a central part of the film and it wasn't pushed for it as much as the other stuff, but it was there and I, I could appreciate some stuff in that. Uh, I guess the, this message, I don't know. I think one uh, critique that I have for the film is that uh, the message is uh, the way they, they formatted the message. Um, it didn't make it as accessible as it could be because I do, I liked, I, the movie surprised me. And I think they, by surprising audiences, they aren't pulling in as many people as they could. Like, I definitely wouldn't have watched this movie if I weren't doing a roundtable on it. Um, But I do think that I would have watched the the movie if it had been more oriented around feminism and uh, and less around a Barbie. Then Mm -hmm. I think I had stereotypical notions of what a Barbie was and all that and... Have you seen Greta Gerwig's other movies, right? Lady Bird or Little Women? I have not. Okay, I would suggest watching Lady Bird. Um, Like Logan, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, And that, it doesn't like focus solely on feminism, but it's a really good coming of age story. And I related with uh, the main character, Lady Bird, a lot. So she does a lot of that stuff. Little Women is good. It's not my favorite, um, but... Yeah, Greta Gerwig's really good at um, doing that kind of writing. Um, so I'd suggest looking at her other stuff, too, if Barbie didn't quite grab you, uh, audience out there, if you're listening as well. Um, real quick, Forrest, well, I, I get what you said about Barbie, and it's not like a super inclusive um, audience and I think there are definitely feminist movies that could have been done other than Barbie, but I feel like this movie was important because... I mean, I view Barbie in kind of an anti-feminist way, as I've said, but this movie kind of acknowledged that. And I think that that was needed. I think the changing the narrative of Barbie and giving it a more feminist view was necessary. So even if this movie specifically didn't have a very um, open, like it it didn't appeal to so many audiences, um, it was still important. I think it was kind of like it was designed to be a movie for I mean it was for men but it was also a little bit for women who who loved Barbie and who hated Barbie like it it was kind of a reconciliation of Barbie um yeah no I guess you're right I do I do feel like I'm focusing too much on uh the format of the story when um it's supposed to be a movie about Barbie and that's it's in it's it's in the name mm-hmm. so Barbie it was created 64 years ago she's very old um, and she's gone through many iterations but you know what we love uh Barbie who is uh above the age of 50 is not kicked out of Hollywood so we love nice. that um, and we've gotten the animated films like Princess and the Popper, which sadly was not uh, 
referenced in the Barbie movie, uh, which I was very mad about. Um, and then in 2016, Amy Schumer signed on to a Barbie movie with uh, Diablo Cody becoming the head writer. Um, the script was scrapped when Cody ran into creative issues. Um, and then finally, the idea was brought back up again in uh, 2018 when it started pre-production. Um, so do you think that 2023 was the right time to create and slash kind of release the Barbie movie? Yes, I do. I think uh, I feel a twinge of concern when I hear about the Amy Schumer Diablo Cody version because I feel like that would have lent very heavily into more parody and not taking the concept seriously and just being like, haha, Amy Schumer as fat Barbie. Laugh at that. That is the that's the joke. And it's like, all right. Um and also <laughs> I don't really like Amy Schumer, but <laughs> but that's besides the point. Uh I think especially with what I mentioned earlier about um you know, little boys right now who are kind of seeing these very alpha male role models in like, you know, Andrew Tate, Jordan Peterson, Ben Shapiro. And all these people who are being like, be the alpha, like be Ken. Like there, there are people right now, little kids younger than us uh, on TikTok being fed lots of content that's pushing them in that direction. And I think especially uh, alongside Oppenheimer, which probably had some of those kids in the audience going to see this. I think this was a really good maybe like wake up moment to them being like, come on, come on now. <laughs> uh, I don't know if there would have been a, a better time to release this. Um, I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't have much of an opinion on this question. I do feel that this it was a, a good time to release the movie. I do agree with that, but I also feel like it could have been released any other time, and it would have been just as effective. Um, I mean, yeah. I think twenty twenty three was the year where uh, Barbie was both timeless and timely. Hmm. I've been sitting on that answer for a while, <laughs> but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was a good time. Whether or not it's the perfect time to release it, I don't know. Because it wasn't released before, and it hasn't been released since yet. So, that's the best answer I can give. Yeah, I agree with Logan. I, I mean, I think this was the right time. I don't know if the messages about femininity, like, I don't think, and, and feminism, I don't know if those could have waited. I don't think those were so important to wait. But the dealing with the patriarchy, I think, especially because Andrew Tate has was in the news so much last year, mm -hmm. it kind of brought all of this like patriarchy and the fact that all of these ideas are still around. They're still very heavily around. And that made it an easier conversation. It made it easier to digest because we're not like we're not dismissing it. We're not thinking that, oh, this isn't happening anymore because it, it's very recently been in the news. It's very recently been acknowledged. So I think it was a good time for at least that message. Yeah. I I like your guys' points about this being so important to talk about for people being affected by the patriarchy. I don't think, if we're thinking about like in this new kind of millennia, um, I don't think it would have been able to be released in the early 2000s because um, male culture was so rampant during that time uh, we have the man show with jimmy kimmel and another guy uh, i forget is the other guy's name but um even though that was supposed to be a parody it was still like toxic masculinity you had man caves you had all this kind of culture and i don't think that would have i don't think it would have gotten the audience for barbie um but and then even in the early 2010s um diablo cody said when uh she was writing the script 
she was trying to do that kind of bimbo Barbie, but turn it into a feminist kind of icon. But people weren't ready for that. They wanted it to be a twist. They wanted her to be a girl boss. Um, and that's just not what Diablo Cody wanted to make. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I guess right now is the best time for this specific Barbie story to be told. Um, but if it would have been released, if this movie would have been like pr produced, I guess in the nineties, it would have been different from when it was produced in the two thousands. Um, and this is, I think ultimately going to be a time capsule of Barbie in 2023. Um, and that's just how it's going to be. Cause that's what movies do. But, um, yeah, this is almost a time capsule to a feminism though. Like almost third wave feminism i don't want to quite call it call it that because they don't quite get into it but this is the time capsule of kind of mainstream feminism today too almost like this specific movie couldn't have been released any other time yeah that's very true because yeah um yeah it would have been very different um especially even in the uh, early 2000s because they were in the midst of their animation barbie i think they would have done a lot of stuff with that but yeah, um, final question for Barbie. I know we've been talking a lot about it. We need to move on to Oppenheimer. Um, so ultimately, does Barbie feel like a marketing tool for Mattel, the voice and uh, point of view for Greta Gerwig, or some combination of the two? Yeah, I mean, I feel like the easy answer is some combination. It's just like, where does that fall? And I would have liked to be a fly on the wall in the meetings between Greta and Mattel, mm -hmm. like what they were trying to get her to cut and what she had to keep in, because like... You can tell that Greta had to make some concessions with Mattel, like uh, probably those shots of the clothes unfurling in the sky with the product name next to them. It's like, what? Come on. And, <laughs> and then I am kind of obviously was like, buy this shirt. It's on screen for an extended period of time. Um, it was definitely a, a Mattel marketing movie. But also, I think Greta probably kind of forced their hand a little bit to include the Will Ferrell character mm -hmm. to include uh, Ruth Handler's mentioning of her tax fraud. Um, but then also you have the scenes of, you know, <laughs> exterior shots of the Subaru where it's like, this is a Subaru commercial I'm watching now. <laughs> like, this is not a movie anymore. Uh, I think it is a, a, a interesting balance of, of commercial and film, but I think it did sway more towards film and I think it used the commercial aspects in its favor. I think if Greta had full control, we would have gotten a Bibble cameo. But alas, yeah. <laughs> we live in a in a in a backwards world with no bibble. Uh, I don't know. I'd be worried if this set a precedent. There was a lot more commercialization than mm -hmm. I would feel comfortable in any movie, and I think it, it sort of got on my nerves at the end. Um, but I do think, despite that, it did uh, provide a message that resonated with audiences. I do think it verges more towards the art side even though there are obviously there's obviously corporate stuff in it like the aforementioned uh, brand labels of uh, clothes and like the mentions of different Barbie lines and Alan existing <laughs> but uh, I don't know like I do think Greta Gerwig managed to uh, sneak in some good stuff in there like Will Ferrell's CEO character which as previously mentioned is one of my favorite parts of the movie and I'm glad Will Ferrell's still kicking because it feels like he's been around a while. Yeah. And that's all I'll say about that. I'm going to go with yes and no, like both and neither. I think it was both marketing um, and Greta's voice. And I think it was not 
either in the sense that it, it this movie was about Barbie. Like it it wasn't really about Greta's voice. It wasn't really about Mattel. It was about Barbie and to an extent it was marketing to recreate the idea of Barbie into something that was more marketable because it, it wasn't it was becoming not what it was and it had to rewrite the narrative um and so i think to that point it was definitely marketing and of course there were all the product placement of barbie um but i think it was more about barbie than it was about anything else yeah i have to agree with that i i guess i'm being a little cynical right now but i i hearing all of your guys's points i'm kind of leaning more on like um on sort of the surface, this is A Labor of Love by Greta Gerwig, and I see that, and I, I respect that a lot. Um, this is, like, sort of the Lego movie where they, you know, Lord Miller got to tell their story, and it it was good. It was really good. Um, but you, there's still capitalism. There's still consumerism on top of that. Um, and, like, underneath this movie, I think there's a really, imp- like, there's marketing like the base of this is marketing because the whole thing about this movie is that um that this film first of all has a diverse cast um which I think is really important that Mattel wants to present their Barbie land right now that represents their company as incredibly diverse with um gender with um you know physical ability you know um we saw a wheelchair barbie um which was really cool um and then also with body types um and i don't think that's disingenuous they do have that representation but it kind of makes it seem like they've always had that representation when uh different body types were only uh debuted in 2016 that's when they debuted curvy barbie was it called Curvy Barbie? I'm pretty sure it was called um, Curvy Barbie, um, but they had a petite Barbie. They had, um, we can fact check that just so I can make sure. But yeah, uh, I remember when those debuted um, and they've done a lot of progress, but this movie is ultimately Mattel, you know, showing off their, their diverse cast, making Margot Robbie the stereotypical Barbie leave Barbie land. It's essentially... this movie is essentially their shift as a brand to fully adopt the diverse Barbie experience. Um, And that's kind of what I saw underneath all of this, even though it is still a good movie. It's stereotypical Barbie leaving Barbie as like, as the company and in the movie Mm -hmm. kind of like we're done with this now. I do think it's kind of the company kind of shoots itself in the foot when Ken is like going to the business office or whatever and they're like he's like something stupid like don't men run the world and he's like yes uh or no yes uh we just hide it a little better now yeah and i, I, didn't, I, I, I really did, like that moment and i didn't want that to be unaddressed just that's that. yeah yep. that was a great i, I should have mentioned it when that was my favorite part it's not my favorite part but it is a Got good it part in. yeah I can confirm the fact check that Mattel did release a curvy Barbie and this curvy Barbie is still incredibly thin just like slightly more like, ugh, come on. <laughs> I, I remember when that was released because my mom bought it for my sister and she was like, this is nice effort, but it doesn't, mm. it still doesn't look like a normal human bo- being proportion. Just wider hips. Wider hips and a, like literally like just a larger like butt. Like that's all they gave it. Like, oh, yeah, that's bad. 
I appreciated um, the the brief theme of free will and sort of yes. how they were toys、mm. and they didn't have free will and that sort of idea that especially when like she was given the blue pill or the red pill、yeah. and she wasn't given the option <laughs> of just forgetting.、Um, I think that can that could、uh, people can see themselves in that situation、mm. even though we. Uh, theoretically, have free will. Yeah, I think something that was completely missed from this movie,、um, and that I think should have maybe been the focus point of this movie, is the existentialism and、mm. the kind of、um, stuff that the main Barbie is going through. I think that story would have been so good if they would have focused on this. I've、uh, there was a commentary by this、uh, YouTube channel, Modern Girls. I'll reference them.、Um, yeah, they were. She had some pretty biting critiques,、um, but she made some good points about but about Barbie maybe staying in the real world for a bit longer, experiencing more like real world stuff, and like making a. Like showing that she made that decision to leave the world, the、um, Barbie Land, with you know, because it kind of comes out of nowhere in the end. Because they have to focus on Ken, they have to develop this. But I think if they would have made it a coming of age story, essentially, then the feminism views would come with that because she is learning how to be a woman, which comes with you know learning the hard truths about the world.、Um, And I think that they maybe missed a chance to do that, yeah.、Um, but yeah, with that we will move on to Oppenheimer. So hard turn, hard right turn,、um, and I'll pass it over to AJ. Are we are we taking a break? We're we just going right yeah, into it. Take a break. Break a break. Water. Cool, 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 cool. We'll be right back after this short break. Alaska Teen Media Institute is looking for youth to join our team. As a youth producer, you can be a part of roundtables like the one you're listening to right now, conduct interviews, edit audio, record voiceovers, help write scripts, and much more. And all of that is paid work. And get this: while we are based in Anchorage, you don't have to be there to work with us. A lot of the work we do is done remotely. So if you're between the ages of 13 and 24, living in Alaska and interested in joining at me. Go to alaskateenmedia.org/join. You can also email us at news@alaskateenmedia.org. Now let's get into Oppenheimer. All right, coming off the high heels of Barbie, we're going straight into our discussion of Oppenheimer, the latest from Christopher Nolan, documenting the life and dramatizing the life of J. Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb. So、uh, we'll go. Counterclockwise here, starting with myself. What was your knowledge of J? Oh, we'll start with Forrest. What was your knowledge of J. Robert Oppenheimer prior to this movie's release? I'd say more than most, I did pretty extensive、um, uh, reading and sort of、uh, research into Oppenheimer in elementary school. Actually,、uh, we read a whole book on Oppenheimer and sort of that process of of his life and him making the atomic bomb. And I definitely. Uh, remembered aspects of that and was connecting it to the movie. So,、uh, yeah.、Uh, I did do some research、uh, beforehand, like pretty much the same level of research, but you know, not for school.、Uh, and it was actually no, it was probably a little less. I did like surface level on Wikipedia and that whole Sanskrit、uh, line that was kind of clickbaitily、yeah. referenced on YouTube. <laughs>、uh, 
other than that, I didn't really have much. Uh, I had to do more research after this movie just to see like what was real and what wasn't. I didn't know a whole lot about Oppenheimer himself going into this movie, besides that obviously he was the father of the atomic bomb. But um, I knew quite a bit about the, like how the atomic bomb was invented, and so I was familiar with the history at least, um, but not Oppenheimer. I, to be honest, did not know who Oppenheimer was. Maybe it's because my AP um, world history class didn't get to World War II before COVID started um, or just other stuff. I think it just slipped through with the whole, like all the other stuff I learned about World War II. I did know about the Manhattan Project. I did know about the atomic bomb, but I guess I just, I just, um, just completely, um, didn't get into my mind um but you know i was really interested in this and i picked up pretty quickly kind of what it was about through the trailers and then um now i know a little bit more about history i guess so um it's good i educated myself yeah i was in a similar boat to madison where i was very sort of uh just sort of like os like osmosis awareness of oppenheimer from you know you, you hear about him in history books and he's mentioned alongside the atomic bomb but um, <clears throat> he was never like a forefront player. He was always like, oh, yeah. And then as we're talking about World War II and Hitler and like Truman and also Oppenheimer did that. And then back to like the main yeah, yeah. conflict. Um, but really, my when, I, when I, I really started like getting interested in this this person when it was announced that no one was going to be making this. I think uh, this is a wild comparison to make, but I think it fits. This is kind of Nolan's Hamilton. <laughs> I was yeah. thinking that it was like Hamilton. <laughs> Taking an underrepresented about. figure yeah. in history and be like, no, this person deserves your attention. And it's like, okay. And, so uh, like comparison. I don't, I don't, <laughs> sorry. I don't think he was underrepresented. I think his his uh, the decisions he made and his morals were underrepresented. Yeah. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, nitpicky clarification. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually. No. <laughs> uh, what were your immediate impressions coming out of the film with that uh, very – very grim ending and then sort of a attached question that I that I put in right before this recording what genre would you put this movie in I enjoyed it a lot I, I was my dad and I were debating whether it was better than Dune or not um uh, I we were we were conflicted <laughs> um I, I definitely think I'd put it in uh it's very dramatized mm -hmm. um so I don't know I definitely put it in the genre of like a historical drama and maybe even a little bit of science fiction, but there mm -hmm. wasn't really as much as the science as we didn't go into as much of the science as I would have liked to really call it a science fiction movie or or a science movie. It's not really science fiction because it's history. But uh, yeah, you know what I'm saying. It is at least so far as of this recording, my favorite movie of 2023. Mm. As of this recording, I think I'd probably joint it with Barbie just because I saw them at yeah. the same time. We're not going to go back to that. But I did really love, I loved Oppenheimer and I'd consider it like a biopic, but not like a generic biopic. Like yeah. I think there are a lot of biopics that like go through the person's entire life. And I think the best biopics only focus on like the stuff that matters about the subject. In this case, uh, uh, Oppenheimer's relationship to the Red Scare and the atomic bomb and all yeah. the important stuff that he was arguably best known for. Mm. I would definitely give the genre to be like docudrama, like documented documentary drama. Um, and then coming out of the theater, I absolutely love this movie. Um, 
I thought it was incredible. I was like immediately thinking, okay, I need to go see this again. Like, I just need to see it again and get all the details again. Um, and then I was also thinking like, oh, this, this is my favorite movie. This is my new favorite movie. And that it was very akin to Hamilton. Like I saw a lot of the similarities of Hamilton, like you said, AJ. No one mentioned that before. That's your comparison. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <the> first part <laughs> yeah, I, I love this movie. I didn't, I hadn't, I only watched Interstellar, which I didn't like. Um, for Christina, I know. I'm, I'm going to get um, destroyed in the metaphorical comments um but uh i yeah i loved it i i was very invested in it um and i think it's because i didn't know a lot about the subject that i was kind of learning this all for the first time so it really drew me in i was like invested the whole time um three hours did not feel like three hours Mm -hmm. um it was yeah, really good. Not too confusing because Christopher Nolan's movies can be really confusing. So I feel like it was it was like a good Christopher Nolan movie for me, I guess. Um, but yeah, really good. I would definitely put it in docudrama slash biopic, maybe more biopic because biopics can dramatize um, like they did with the Judy biopic uh, for um, Judy Garland. Um, but I would also relate it to a Studio Ghibli movie I actually just watched last night called The Wind Rises. Um, and it's it was about uh, an airplane engineer from World War II who like and it goes through like most of his life, I guess. Um, and I thought it was kind of similar. And funny enough, the um, the dubbed actor, one of the actors in it is Emily Blunt. So, uh, yeah, I definitely, I really liked Oppenheimer. Oh, like along the lines of uh, like historical movies covering historical events, uh, I can, I find that I can not enjoy them because I already know what's going to happen and I really hate when I know mm-hmm. what's going to happen in a story. But I do think that the way the story is set up and the way that the story is told really lends itself to talking about historical events and making them interesting even though we know the outcome. Also, yeah. I would like to point out that it's part of the appeal of historical movies is the fun of watching it get to the part you already knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, rushing to act two and like, all right, show me the bomb. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let's say coming right out of the film, I my first thought was, man, I wish I wasn't going straight to Barbie because I really wanted that ending yeah. to sit with me and I'm probably going to go see it again with my dad and, and then have more time to, to, to really sit with that conclusion and... Yeah, no, you walk out of the theater with, uh, with, yeah. It, yeah. I, I'm having a hard time describing the feeling as I walk <laughs> down the hallway. It's despair. Like, it's despair. Yeah. Like, it's like, oh, well, shit. <laughs> now what? An almost apocalyptic feeling. I'd say, like, overtly apocalyptic. And Christopher Nolan, um, when he was sort of doing initial uh, marketing for this, said it, it's a kind of historical horror. And that's why I asked that genre question, because I think historical horror is a very interesting concept that I think more films should try. I don't think I would call this movie a historical horror. I, I would put it in historical drama with some very scary, heavy aspects. Specific, thriller. Yeah, thriller. Like a thriller, yeah. Yeah, like a historical thriller. But it made me want more of this, because I think this is the first movie of whatever genre it is. Like The closest comparison I could make would be Daniel Day-Lewis's Lincoln or Selma. But even then, like... It, it doesn't it doesn't even reach this movie's level of presentation. And so I want more of this kind of film was my immediate takeaway. And then 
shifting to to casting and performance, uh, you know, Killian Murphy has been a recurring uh, player in a lot of Nolan's work. He was in Inception and Dunkirk. He was the Scarecrow in the Dark Knight trilogy. So, but this is his first leading role with Nolan, and I think he knocked it out of the park. But what were your thoughts on Killian Murphy as J. Robert Oppenheimer? I always thought he was a really talented actor in general, but it was kind of a shame that, at least as far as I am seeing, he didn't get a leading role before now. Well, he had Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, that's yeah. right. He, he was in the show, and I did see the first episode mm-hmm. of that show. But uh, I don't know. I, I am glad. I thought his performance was really great, and I'm sure that's a sentiment that'll be reflected across the board. Yeah, I know him from Peaky Blinders, and... I would say that they're almost, they're kind of, okay, they're not really similar characters, but... Oh, no, I, I'd agree with that. They're yeah, they're, similar characters. they're kind of similar yeah. characters. Um, And so I, w- I was kind of familiar with the kind of acting that he was doing in the movie, but it was still different enough that I, like, I got a different side of him, and I got to see more of his acting, and I really enjoyed that. Um, But also, before I had gone into the movie, I heard from someone I don't remember, that Nolan loved his eyes. And so, like... He's got some good eyes. <laughs> he had some good eyes. And so it was, like, throughout the entire movie, it was just, like, that was the only thing I could watch because I could see mm-hmm. how in every single scene his eyes were just lit up. And so that was, like, half of what I was focused on for yeah. the in- the first half of the movie. Like, I wasn't watching any of his acting. It was just he's, his eyes. He's got that thousand-yard stare that you need <laughs> yeah. in a J. Robert Oppenheimer. Yeah. yeah, I think you can especially see that um, at the end where he He's just like kind of staring, just like I, in horror. Yeah, in horror. Mm-hmm. Um, but he kind of looks like he's he's like spaced out, obviously. Um, but yeah, I, I get the eyes. This is my first time, I guess, interacting with Killian Murphy. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen anything he's in, really. Um, and yeah, he's good. He's good. Um, I mean, what can you say? Um, I thought. Yeah, um, it's kind of weird when you don't really know an actor. And so it kind of the actor becomes a character or if they're doing a biopic, someone. So right now, I guess Killian Murphy is Oppenheimer to me, uh, which is a really weird thing to say. Um, But it's sort of like um, if I'm going to make another distinction, Rami Malek who uh, was in this, he was um, the Hill or uh, Hill, I believe. Yeah. He, I saw him in Night at the Museum, and for a long time, he was that guy from Night at the Museum. And so, unfortunately, until I see more of Nolan's work, Killian Murphy will be Oppenheimer to me. So, yeah. Uh, sort of speaking of characterization, um, the intercut scenes of, like, how he sees the universe and yes. um, was, I think... Uh, it worked really well, and I was surprised that it did because it's that's such a jarring thing to do to cut to have those um, those jump cuts to uh, just uh, an abstract image. Uh, but I really appreciated that, and I liked how it added to the movie. I think it added to the concept of like you know geniuses usually have the idea of being like insane or whatever, but it kind of added to that. And the fact that it they kind of only did it when he was young. It helped with that characterization and kind of building his character of having like you could see inside of his head and you can see like as he's not getting any sleep and almost poisoning his teacher like you can see the madness that's in his head and you kind of understand it a little bit more and you can understand how he becomes the person later. On the on the topic of, of cast members, this movie is is brimming. We have we have <laughs> Killian, we have uh, Robert Downey Jr., Emily Blunt. Uh, I have the IMDb open, so I'm cheating. But we got <laughs> even even like 
other like huge famous actors with very minor roles. We got some Jeff Goldblum aliens in here, like Rami Malek, mm -hmm. like you mentioned. We have Casey Affleck, Dane DeHaan, these really recognizable names with very little screen time because this movie is three hours and two seconds long. <laughs> so <laughs> just generally considering how dense this movie is, do you think the runtime helped it or detracted from it? It could have used an inter intermission. Most of <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I had to go to the bathroom like mm -hmm. one hour, two hours in, and I was like, I don't know how I'm mm -hmm. going to make it through another hour. I don't. Right after any. the bomb, yeah. like, let that sit <laughs> yeah. with you. Go, go take a break. <laughs> but I don't think like the the time detracted from the movie at all. I mm -hmm. think if they tried to shorten it, it would have just been like it was already a complex story that they were fitting a lot in. They would have had to cut a part of it if they'd wanted to make it any shorter. I don't think the runtime detracted from it. It was sort of stated earlier that uh, that it didn't feel like three hours. And I think the cast members, the more people they throw at you and the more you're trying to engage with the story, I think they kind of complement each other. Also, a special shout out to Jack Quaid, who played a character in the Amazon original series, The Boys, who plays Richard Feynman, who is a <laughs> scientist I was already familiar with because of the Feynman technique, which is how you explain something as if you explain it to a kid. Like explaining a complicated thing in a way you explain to a kid that's called the Feynman technique. Can you explain that more simply to me? <laughs> Funny. <laughs> it is a very dense story, yeah. which I appreciate. I think its density kind of makes it so that it doesn't track detract or the runtime doesn't mess with it. Like it, it's not a lesser movie because it's longer, because it's so dense, because there there's literally never a dull moment. Um and kind of like one of the questions from Barbie was this the right time to release it I think because there are so many Marvel movies and like other movies that have such long run, run times it's like oh it's a three hour movie okay we're kind of used to that like we can do that and it was almost even more enjoyable because I mean sometimes I, I love Marvel movies but they, I can even get bored sometimes um, but the fact that this movie was so dense and it was really good and I enjoyed like every second of it um, it really didn't feel like three hours at all i totally agree um i yeah i was invested in it because it was a new topic and a new director so i had kind of all the newness but even then my mom who doesn't really like all these kind of i guess you could call this sort of like a film a film for film critics or film junkies and a film um, for cinema files yeah <laughs> cinema files there we go um and my mom liked it which was uh really cool um, yeah, it's the pacing of it is really good. Uh, Nolan does sort of like what I say, uh, if we're going to bring back Greta Gerwig, what Greta Gerwig does in late, Little Women, bringing kind of the narrative um, and like different points of his life, even mm -hmm. though um, black and white is objective view, apparently, and um, the color is subjective. Um, or do you... Oh, no. Okay. I, I was just going to mention that... Oh, you, you go ahead. You finish your thought. Okay. I just want to make sure oh, no, I was you're, correct you're, you're with correct. that. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it was perfectly paced. Um, and yeah, really good. I guess I wanted to talk about how um, the sort of reoccurring theme that no one sort of puts in his movies of nonlinear stories. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't expecting that. And to see that made me very happy. <laughs> I, I, I really like stories that um, loop on themselves or, or, or don't really follow a linear set. It sort of it makes it much more interesting for me, especially in a historical piece that I know the outcome. Right on. 
So one of the most alluring parts of this movie was the fact that it strived to recreate the atom bomb explosion without the use of CGI. And so do you think that was executed well? And what are your thoughts on the atom bomb test scene? Maybe it's just me, but that scene was so tense. It was built up enough in the movie, but not too late where I my heart was I wasn't like in a state of like panic, but I was still like invested. The countdown was like really interesting. The build up the um, the storm and then the um, the the test failure earlier was really cool. And those are actually real things that happened before um, the real test. Um, but I thought it was perfectly lined up um and the bomb explosion was appropriately timed um i think i jumped definitely um even though i knew it was coming um but yeah i think it was a really cool scene but not necessarily my favorite part which was weird i don't know i think everything just kind of flows together it was really good um but i especially like the scene later when uh straws gets um what's coming to him but yeah it was a very well executed scene, and I it was it was definitely it was one of those scenes that uh, it benefited from being in the theater, mm-hmm. like with the mm-hmm. large speakers and the the visuals. Um, I I for I expected the movie to center much more around the atom bomb than it did, and so I was surprised at how how well they managed to fit that in without focusing on it. And I think that uh, really added to talking about Oppenheimer rather than just his actions or what hap- what he did in that particular moment in his life. Uh, there is a uh, quote. It's attributed to Roger Ebert, but I think he was quoting someone else, which is that a great movie is four great scenes and no bad scenes. And I thought, uh, I was I thought the whole movie was like great. I think there were three great scenes like before that moment, but once the atom bomb explosion like hit and the sound design cut out for a second, and we yeah. like see Oppenheimer's like w- reaction uh, to it, and it like explodes uh, when they're testing it. It sent chills up my spine, and there were still great scenes after that, right until the ending. And I'm like, damn, this is cinema. So I saw uh, Oppenheimer with one of my friends, and about a quarter of the way through the movie, there was, like, some sort of explosion, and it was really loud, and we both jumped, and she whispered to yes, we talk in movies, uh, but she whispered to me, um, like, imagine how loud it's going to be when the A-bomb goes off, and I, like, thought about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, and thought about it for a second, and I was like, or it'll be completely silent. Yeah. Because um, I'm like, that's that's the choice that I would have made yes. if I was the director. Mm-hmm. And then it happened, and I was like, yes. I was right. <laughs> um, but actually, I, w- I was wrong because it, it, it had his breath. And I thought that was a really, really cool choice, the way that you could just hear his breathing in this moment that was like, it, it's what he's known for in history. And so it was his mo- moment, and he was seen, and it was like, it was his breath. It was his life that we were hearing um, – during this moment of like his crowning achievement, his what he's remembered for in history. And I thought that was really interesting. Um, that was a scene that I kind of fell in love with the movie. Like, I think that scene was done so perfectly. It did everything that it needed to do. And it wasn't the central part of the movie. And it made him so human. And so it made his story easier to digest. And like a little, it made him a little bit more easier to sympathize with. Um, I think that scene 
was incredible. And like Logan said, there were a lot of great scenes, but that was definitely the one, like it was the most hyped and it was the most important and it was the most recognizable because everyone kind of knew this is what the movie's going to be about. It's going to be about the A-bomb. Um, and so I, it was perfectly done because it wasn't about the A-bomb. It was like we were seeing the A-bomb, but we were hearing Oppenheimer. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, one thing that can particularly bother me in movies is when they put the sound of fireworks and the fireworks going off at the same time because mm. the light travels faster than sound. Mm. And so I, I, it, it made me happy that they were scientifically accurate and the light, <laughs> they saw it before the yeah. sound reached them. And something tells me Nolan timed it intentionally like <laughs> so that it was right, like it, you see it, and then exactly when you would have heard it is when they hear it. Yeah. And I think timing that right after Oppenheimer goes... And now I am become death, the destroyer of. And then, yeah, mm -hmm. it's like, oof, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. That's that's the best way you could have done it, I think. Yeah. Um, I was expecting more of a mushroom cloud, and I'm mm -hmm. happy that I didn't get that. And instead, you get just the light, just yeah. the blinding, yeah. just. And I thought that's what I wasn't expecting. I the was sunscreen. expecting, yeah, the sunscreen. <laughs> the sunscreen. I, I loved that. I, uh, I, I think that the. Uh, the A-bomb worked so well for me that it had me so invested and thinking, oh, they're not even going to have a sound, that when the sound comes in, it managed to get me. Yeah, that's, yeah. The one, that's the one thing everybody was expecting, and it still caught me off guard. And mm -hmm. it's like, yeah, only Nolan can do that. So after the atom bomb explodes, and then the atom bomb explodes two more times, no, uh, Oppenheimer has to deal with that. And by the end of the movie, after he talks with Albert Einstein, which we didn't get to, but he's in this, <laughs> uh, he's faced with how his life's work has changed the world and the future possibilities of nuclear war as we are still sitting in today. And as, you know, we went into the Cold War with those tensions. And now, like, what, what is it, like nine countries have nukes? So uh, here we are. And <laughs> what did that movie leave you with? How are, you, how are, you, how, how are we doing? Um, I, the, the morals that this movie examined are like, we could talk about that for the entire, the entire time. Um, but I do think, uh, I, I liked how, uh, it sort of shifted away from just the atomic bomb and they started talking about the hydro, uh, hydrogen bomb and how, uh, Oppenheimer was vehemently against that and how he regretted his actions and how even though he's seen as the, this creator of something that destroyed and killed thousands upon thousands of people, um, he he didn't feel like he had a choice when he started. He, he felt he was in the right and how that shifted over time. And also this, the scenes with him like flashing back to... Um, the destruction that the atomic bomb had, especially like uh, they had um, like distortion in the background when he was yeah. recounting his, um, the recounting the story. Mm -hmm. um, it added a lot. <sighs> um, I don't know about much of the uh, timely the uh, things about it. Like it's even though it's a historical like story, how how much it says about our current world, I don't know. But I do know that. It's a lot of it does seem to be a story about unintended consequences, like not really knowing like the full depth of what your actions can potentially reap in the future. And Oppenheimer, uh, the look of horror really sells mm -hmm. it at the end. I, I adored the line to Einstein how he said, "You, you know, I, mm -hmm. I you, I, we you told me that, anyway. yeah. yeah, that that." starting this bomb could cause a chain reaction that destroyed the world. I believe it has. I was like, yes! That, that line was, was so good! Perfect. Perfect. Like an anvil. Yeah. It was yeah. so mm -hmm. good. 
Um, I don't know. I, I think I would disagree with the point that he didn't know the consequences of his actions. He well, knew. Well, he, well, no, he did know. He just hoped that people would be not uh, would be better than yeah. he knew they were. Yeah. Um, and he, I think, he was deluding himself mm-hmm. that it was just going to yeah. be a deterrent when he knew himself that it yeah. wasn't going to. Hey, end U.S. government, way. I've made a yeah. bomb that's incredibly powerful and will win you the war. Thanks. We're going to use it. Huh? What? No, don't. That <laughs> uh, made me shudder a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I I think the way that um that Oppenheimer dealt with the morality of it all cuz there were there were two central things. It was like it was the shaking of the bunker whatever they had been in when the explosion went off and the way that it like come over them. And that was the thing that he recalled and it was the feet after they had used it. Um, and I thought those were very, very important because it wasn't really... Because the, the way he recalled it, it wasn't really... He wasn't recalling the bomb. He was recalling the effects of it washing mm-hmm. over them. And then he was recalling how people had celebrated um, over yeah. this thing that mm-hmm. he felt that was wrong. Um, yeah, that no, was... Especially, like, on the moment when he was in the podium in front of the people yeah. directly afterward, yep. no, Christopher Nolan did a really good job of selling it as a hollow victory mm-hmm. and that he already knew that um, this was not going to end well. Yeah. I think I think having the light in that scene, too, mm-hmm. and having this person's face peel off and mm-hmm. the charred body on the floor, I think he was trying to be like, this is the horror scene. The horror scene wasn't the yeah. atom bomb test. Yeah. It's people celebrating its use. That's the that's the terrifying part. I thought that was even more impactful than the atom bomb scene, and more impactful yeah. than the ending, was I, the, the bleachers of Americans cheering at the bombing of these cities. Yeah. I think the important thing that it said about like how like what the a bomb means now, um, I think that was shown in the the horror or the lack of horror. Like you said, Nolan described it as a historical horror, and I had been talking with my grandma on how there was no gore. Like you didn't really see the effects of the atom bomb. Like there was a scene where they were going through pictures of Japan afterwards, but they never actually showed any of the pictures. They just saw, they just showed Oppenheimer's reaction. And I think that was really important because most of us have probably seen pictures of what radiation does to a person. So we know what it looks like. And he didn't have to show that in the film because we're already aware, but it did show the horror that Oppenheimer felt. It was like, he knew it. He looked away. Yeah, Yeah. He looked away. He knew what he had done and i think that kind of shows of like we know mm-hmm. what it what it means to release a nuclear weapon right um so we need to remember yeah i think there's a there's mutually assured destruction yes in, absolutely in in these countries where the idea is if one country launches a nuke then all the other ones do too yeah. <laughs> and so, yeah and part of me is like well theoretically yes but I feel like that's it, there's so much awareness around that now that if one country launches a nuke, I feel like there's going to be more of a yeah no more Russia of a hesitation was threatening to um, use nuclear weapons on Ukraine yep. and the U.S. was very adamant that they weren't going to retaliate with atomic weapons yeah but because that would end the world <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. uh, oh speaking of morals I don't I'll start to cut in with a question but like what would you guys do if you were presented with the opportunity and you had the knowledge and expertise to work on an atomic bomb. That's a great question. What would you do? Would you work on an atomic bomb to save the world from 
Hitler. Way to, st- way to steal yeah. this round table of ours. No, 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 it's a great question. Heck no. Um, <laughs> sorry, sorry. Um, no, because I just couldn't deal with the uh, moral of that on my hands. I think I would go crazy. Um, uh, also, just to add on the last question, I think this movie is really important for people today because we're so concerned with different things that could end the world Mm -hmm. because yeah there's so many different ways that the world could end that this really brings back the fear that nuclear like war had in those very early days in the 60s that a lot of us uh, any of us have had to deal with we never had to deal with like the drills basically for nuclear holocaust we have had to deal with like school shootings Mm -hmm. um but we haven't had to deal with like nuclear like fears almost like I feel like it's kind of drifted out of the public sphere um, with all the war and um, global warming and yeah. just all the different things. But this kind of brings back like, oh, yeah, there's another thing that could end us, too. Um, and war is very possible. And with war comes nuclear weapons. So, yeah. There are too many problems. There are just there are too many yeah. ways for the world to end. Yeah, I think Gen Z and well, everybody right now, but I think Gen Z, especially going into this world, we are just consumed by all these apocalypses yeah. that could happen. Yeah, and Gen Z inherited a world lot. that was ruined for us. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that's always been yeah. humans. But exactly. I will say every generation at some point has thought that they were the last. That's you know, true. after the atom bomb was created, everybody like Gen X and. And boomers are like, this is it. We're okay, dead. but there's never been a Gen Z before. Never like, been who a Gen came Z. up with the idea of Gen Z? There's literally <laughs> nothing after us. There's Gen Alpha. Yeah. That's true. That's yeah. true. But there's like, there's no alphabet after. I know. Us. They restarted the alphabet yeah. with a alpha. The, the Greek ones. Yeah. yeah. Um. To answer Forrest's question, I would make a dud. I would have. I would have <laughs> the the atom bomb. The test be the real one and then when they ask for actual bombs I would make them not but work. But you'd, you'd mm. lose the deterrent of actually dropping it. No, I, I wouldn't mean, tell the government they were duds. Well, no, but the government would drop it anyway and when it failed, yeah, Japan would true, realize true, that the US doesn't have that power and they'll just keep fighting. Mm-hmm. Well. <laughs> I mean, to be, to play I'd devil's ra- I'd rather, <laughs> to play <laughs> I'd rather do that than than kill 150,000 innocents. I think well, I mean, it's gonna <laughs> you, theoretically you it criminal. could be like many many more at, um, if the war continued. Yeah. Just watch Grave of the Fireflies. That's all I'm gonna say. Yeah. Oh, that's a hard. That's a good question, dude. Also, I'm not sure I would do it now, but that's only because of the modern yeah. world we live in. Like yeah. I, I don't. I wasn't in an Oppenheimer situation. I wouldn't know yep. what the circumstances are. And also it was particularly because um, Oppenheimer was Jewish and right. that had large that had a significant yep. impact on his decision because it was is effectively his people who are being yeah. in, who are in the yeah. Holocaust. Yeah. There's a you know, this is kind of a pivot, but I think it's a good thing to think about. We just discovered gravitational waves. Yeah. And uh, who knows, maybe in five years, there will be a gravity bomb that can destroy the sun. No, like, stop giving, knows? no, just, no, 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 no. Don't give no, no, no. right any ideas. Oh, yeah. oh boy. Yeah, we do have to, yeah, we should cut that. <laughs> okay, John. but Forrest, to answer your question, I'm going to come at it from, I know you're asking about like from the scientist side, but I'm going to come at it from the president's side. Um, hmm. I read this thing. No idea if it's true because I read it on Pinterest, but it was when the idea of nuclear weapons was first coming about. It was like if the president should ever need to use them, like what would the nuclear code or how what's the morality of this? And I 
read that someone had suggested, like, implanting nuclear codes behind someone's heart, like, just a random person, Ooh. and then having them carry a knife around all the time. And so if the president chose to use the nuclear weapons, he would... Okay, we're going to say they would have to um, oh. stab the yes. person in the heart to get the nuclear codes. And someone was like, well, then the president would never do it. And that was like, that was the point, I think. So I think. Uh, I don't know. I think that, I think people are aware enough to realize that um, and to kill that person. Because, yeah. Hmm. yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I thought that that was very, very interesting because it's like you do have to have some comprehension of what it would mean to drop those bombs. Yeah. And it's very easy to press a button. But, I mean, I think Oppenheimer really, really felt what it meant, and he knew what he was doing. I don't know what I can say about presidents. I think but... he got wrapped up in the possibility, yeah. is, the way, is it possible? Yeah. And I think that can, that, that, yeah. that can be an issue with uh, the disconnect between yeah. science and sort of the control of that information. Because theory can only that, take like, you so far. Yeah, and yeah. also that the theory or that the if 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 they can do it is mm-hmm. um is a question that i think yeah. humans will always be asking and always be answering could you should you would you yeah also to quote jurassic park this is shockingly relevant here the scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could they didn't stop to think if they should yep yeah. okay i can relate to that one i like biology i do not like physics that one i could definitely be like the idea of creating a dinosaur or very a very this. alluring yeah i'm a barbie girl and <laughs> just trying to make it light yeah just trying to <laughs> lighten the mood uh, <laughs> uh, I'm gonna, we're ending with oppenheimer yeah we're ending with oppenheimer well i just just kind of segue into probably the last question here if if it hadn't been for the Barbenheimer hype, would you have seen both of these movies? Would you have seen Oppenheimer? Would you have seen Barbie if this wasn't such a cultural moment? Uh, no, I would have. I would have definitely seen Oppenheimer, but a uh, movie about Barbies. Like I was already hesitant. Um, I mean, it was a good movie, but it's not something that I don't think, especially going to a theater and watching it. Yeah. But uh, I am glad I saw it. Yeah. So. I would have seen both anyway, because mm-hmm. I love Nolan and I love Greta Gerwig, yeah, and that's same. all there is to it. I'm in that boat. I absolutely would have seen Oppenheimer. I probably would have seen Barbie just because I knew walking into that movie that it would, like, it it wouldn't just be about Barbie, but I might not have gone to see it in theaters. I might have, like, waited for it mm-hmm. to be released um, and then watch it at home. Right. Uh, no, I I wouldn't have. I'm the opposite of Forrest. I probably would have just seen Barbie and skipped Oppenheimer, but I'm glad I didn't um, because, yeah, Oppenheimer was really good. Um, yeah, I think that's that's pretty much all I have to say about that. Yeah. I'll, I'll sneak this in just like right before I, I answer this question. I do wish that we had a scene of the Demon Core, which I think is the coolest part of the Manhattan Project. We have a shot of it. But the demon core was the, the, I think it was the plutonium or uranium core surrounded by bricks that kept it, that kept the radiation uh, contained. And the, they would experiment on it sometimes. And there were two failures of this demon core where some material slipped and released a ton of rads yeah, and killing people cool. of radiation poisoning. And one of the coldest lines in history ever spoken was when somebody was, was demonstrating the demon core and then it slipped and failed and there was an accident. And they the, kept working. Yeah. And he, he said, well, that does it. And two weeks later, he was dead. 
Oh, and that's so wild, and I kind of wish that was in there, but it wasn't. There's a, there's another movie that focuses more on the atomic bomb that's kind of older, and it does um, it focuses more on the building of the atomic cool, bomb cool, rather cool. than it probably has that. Yeah, it does. That. Yeah, I watched it. it was <laughs> it's been a while, it. but yeah. I I to, just to to circle back and answer that question, I I definitely would have seen Barbie just because it's a it's a tight ninety, and I love Greta Gerwig. Um, I think if there wasn't, I think. Uh, to be honest, the marketing for Oppenheimer is what brought me in and not the marketing for Barbie. The marketing for Barbie mostly pushed me away. Uh, whereas for Oppenheimer, all the marketing said was, see this in IMAX with theater surround sound. And I was like, bet. All right. <laughs> like, that's all I needed to hear. And I'm so glad I did. Um, I'm glad that I saw both of these as a double feature, though. I think even if it detracts from either movie, uh, just going to to two separate theaters and seeing it just brimming and just like people in in pink and people in like like a pink uh, Oppenheimer outfits and just like crowds of people going to theaters and supporting movies by two completely different directors. I love that this wasn't posed as a war between these movies. It wasn't yes. like, are you Barbie yes. side or Oppenheimer side? It was no, everybody's doing both. I mm -hmm. loved it. Uh, and that's that's the takeaway for me. What do you all think? Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. I will say I wore all black to Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do like a Feminheimer where I like had an Oppenheimer outfit, then I had a wig and makeup, but we didn't have time. So I just mm. went as normal Oppenheimer boring. I just went normally. I have the same collection of freaking Mickey Mouse. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Oh, I have to sneak this in about Oppenheimer real quick because we were talking about all the feminism with Barbie. Um, the moment where the one female scientist, or the, the, there were like two scenes with the one female scientist, and it was the one where he was asking if she could type, and she was like, no, but I can, I, I don't remember what she said, but like, I, I They don't teach um, typing in Harvard um, chemistry. Mm -hmm. chem yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I love that moment. And then when she was like, I refuse to re leave the room because you don't know what radiation does the, to the female reproductive system. And I was like, yeah, because yeah. she's not just her reproductive system. Yeah. She's helping you out and with her, a lot, her too. Her counter line <laughs> was, but your reproductive system is more exposed. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Great line. Well, yeah. That's <laughs> a great line. All right. And I guess with that, we'll wrap up. Um, I am Maddie. And I'm AJ. And we are with the Alaska Teen Media Institute. Thanks for listening. Farewell. You've been listening to Film Club, a production of Alaska Teen Media Institute. Our show's theme music was composed by Kendrick Whiteman. Alaska Teen Media Institute is based in Anchorage, Alaska, and we'd like to acknowledge the Denina people whose land we work on. Many thanks to supporters of our podcast, including the Alaska Community Foundation, through the 2022 Healthy Communities, Arts, Culture, and Play Grant. The views expressed in this program do not necessarily represent the views of our sponsors. Thanks to our listeners who contribute to our programs and help us leverage additional funds and grants. If you'd like to support Youth Voices in Alaska and help keep our podcast going, you can support us through Patreon. It's a membership platform that makes it easy for you to support creative endeavors like ADME. Just go to patreon.com slash alaskateenmedia. You can also help out by subscribing to, rating, or writing a review of our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Every little bit helps us get our stories out there. And if you are a youth ages 13 to 24 who loves movies and is interested in being part of our film club, go to alaskateenmedia.org slash join. Or you can email us at news at alaskateenmedia.org. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Alaska Teen Media. Follow us for all sorts of updates. For Alaska Teen Media Institute, I'm Orman Lois. Thanks for listening.
Shout out to women. Shout out to women. <laughs> That's gonna be on the on the chase. Is it recorded? It's gotta be it's in my so top recorded. two.